welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. There's a really interesting dialogue Jesus has with a blind man. Mark's gospel is really quite interesting. Mark really brings out on a lot of the miracles of Jesus in particular. And you'll read some, what the miracles? Mark really includes some of those details which might mess with our heads. (laughs) This is one of those. Um, In Mark's account, we can read Jesus just fed thousands of people. Thousands. And with the disciples, there's still this, 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 this misunderstanding about um, still lacking faith in Jesus. Even though Jesus does all these amazing things, he feeds 5,000 people with um, five loaves of fish. He also feeds 4,000 people. Oh, sorry, it was, it was uh, five loaves. And, it was, and for 4,000, how many loaves were there? Who remembers how many loaves there were for the 4,000? Seven. So he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and he feeds a whole steak more. So Jesus is doing some pretty amazing things and then after addressing the disciples, this happens. Verse 22, it says this. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... When he spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, don't enter even the village. Can we pray? Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit who reveals things to us, who imparts things to us, who provokes, stirs things up within us. And thank you, Lord, right now for this passage. Do what you want to do and say what you want to say. And all the people said, amen. Amen. Let's think about this for a moment. He was in a town called Bethsaida and um, there there was a blind man, it says, that people brought to Jesus. It says in verse 22, they brought him, brought to Jesus a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. A blind man who was brought by people to Jesus. 
Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this conversation about people carrying to Jesus. Maybe, maybe we can be ones that can carry by faith those that are lame or crippled in whatever capacity to Jesus. Well, the same thing happens here. This man's blind. You've got to imagine what this is like for a blind man. He can't just go here, there and everywhere so easily. And so people had brought this man to Jesus and begged Jesus, pleaded with Jesus just to touch him. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus to do miracles in Bethsaida. It happened quite a bit. And so they knew that there was some notoriety there that, that, that this, this miracle man, this Messiah even, could heal and restore sight to a blind man. Never underestimate the, the role of your faith in someone else's miracle. Maybe you are the one that is bringing people to Jesus. Maybe you're the one that's pleading and begging Jesus for that person's miracle. Never underestimate your role in the outworking of that miracle. That's, what, that's exactly what we see here. Um, but what's interesting, it says in verse 23, he then took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Out of the village. He took him out of the village. Why did he do that? Why did... Interrogating the, the text again. Why did Jesus need to take the blind man out of the village of Bethsaida? Why did he do that? What was it about the village? Why couldn't he just do it there and then? I love though it says that, it, that Jesus took him by the hand. Isn't that so Jesus? took him away from the noise, took him away from the commotion, perhaps even took him away from the unbelief. It says in Luke chapter one, uh, 10 and verse 13 to 15, we know Jesus had some strong words to say, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon. What's he saying? Well, many miracles happened in that place, but there was so much familiarity that was going on. People were talking, there was conjecture. Well, who is he think he is? What's going on here? And I wonder if that there was such a lack of faith, though there was miracles, there was unbelief in that place. And Jesus wanted to get this man out of that place. I wonder if at times in our meetings there is a lack of faith. Or did I just say that? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wonder if at times there is unbelief in our hearts. Though Jesus does many mighty things, and he's done it in your heart, he's done it in my heart, but we become familiar and we become even contemptuous, so to speak. Jesus took this man by the hand out of the village. Maybe for some alone time. Some of the most powerful times that we can have with him is when everyone else is not around. What it says in the end of that passage, in verse 26, after he does this miracle, it says, he sent him to his home, saying, don't even enter the village. What? After he healed the man, he sent the man home, but he says, don't enter the village. Well, hang on a second, what do you mean? Why did he do that? 
the man had this encounter with Jesus and he says, I want you to go home and I don't want you to get too involved with their thinking just at this point. Don't let their unbelief rub off on you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Guard your heart. Guard your heart because both faith and unbelief are highly contagious. Have you ever been around a really faith-filled person and, and it just rubs off on you? I love praying with Pastor Nestori. I love being around Pastor Bob Stevenson. It's all right, man. God's got it. It's all right, man. Have faith. It's all right. God's in control. And when you're around those people that speak faith, it kind of builds you up a little bit, right? But what about people that are, oh, no, it's the end of the world. Oh, poor you. It's just the end of it. I'm not talking about not identifying with people in their weakness. There is a place for that. If anyone knows that, it's Jesus. But he doesn't want us to stay and wallow in our sorrows indefinitely. He identifies with us, but he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay there. So when, when we're carrying our, our, our broken friends, our lame friends, or whatever is on the stretcher to Jesus, remember, we are carrying them on a stretcher. We're not carrying a coffin. Let's be the people that speak faith. Let's not leave people in Winesville. Oh, no, let's complain and whine for the next 57 years. I want to be clear here. I'm not speaking about not being real and, and calling things as, it, as they are. Yeah, it's hard. It's challenging. But you know what? We serve a God who is good. We serve a God who is great. We serve a God who does these creative miracles that don't make sense. If he did it for that man, he can do it for me. If he's done it for me, he can do it for you. Be mindful of your surroundings. Be mindful of what you feed yourself. The enemy is trying to disciple you just like Christ is. And he uses the world. He uses the systems of this world. He even uses things like the media and books. And he, he uses humor sometimes. He uses, <laughs> he uses slogans. He, but Christ is a better way. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. That's Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. One of the things that concerns me about the constant conversation around the COVID pandemic is I, I, I'm seeing good friends of mine pull away from faith and move into the realm of fear. Give me a break. Come on. Really? Let's not let the world disciple us away from Christ, away from faith in Christ and into the realm of fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear. That is not us. That's the world. Let the world be afraid. Let the world be scared. Let's be prudent. Let's have wisdom, but let's have faith. Is our God not big? Is he not strong? Is he not mighty? Come on. And be careful because the fear that's out there can rub off onto you. Don't let it. Be vigilant. Spend more time in the Word than reading what Rupert Murdoch wants you to read in the newspapers. Fear sells. You know that, don't you? That is one way to get your attention and sell you a product. It's to find out the button 
of fear in you and exploit it. But we serve a God who is bigger. May we have faith in him. Friends, brothers, sisters, let's be vigilant to guard our hearts. Maybe for some of you, you need to get your mentality, your brain space out of Bethsaida. Move your brain, your, 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 your soul out of the Bethsaida mentality into a kingdom reality. Maybe you've been exposed to so many mighty miracles, but still, you're questioning, how could God do that? Or why didn't God do this? Who does God think he is? And we're trying to create a God in our own image, according to our own likeness. But God, it says in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are far beyond ours. He's holy. The most commonly mentioned attribute in the scripture about God is his holiness. He's holy. May we be people that guard our hearts. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus to sometimes kick people out of a room. In fact, it was in John chapter 5, I think it was in, with Jairus's daughter. Remember, he pushed the people out of the room. Let's get the commotion out of here. Let's do something here. I don't want, I don't want too much noise going. I don't want too much unbelief. I don't want that. Come on, this is a place of faith. And here's something to submit for all of us, myself included. Where there are mountains in our lives or even in our hearts, may we surround ourselves with people of faith that will inspire us to anchor ourselves in Him. I'm not opposed to looking at things in the natural, but there is a higher reality. And sometimes a doctor's report that belongs in the supernatural needs to be believed. There are things that He says that are yet to be outworked in the natural. At times he will call you to speak things that are not as though that they are. Sometimes he's going to do that. And when he does, stand on it. What's going on in here? That's where it starts. I need to be fair though to Bethsaida. Um, it wasn't all bad because there were some good people that came out of Bethsaida. There were some good people there. In John chapter 1, it tells us that Peter came from there. Andrew came from there. Philip came from Bethsaida. There were good people that were in that place. But still, there was a mentality of familiarity with God. Have you ever wondered why so many mighty miracles happen in certain parts of the world? And they don't happen in other parts. Have you ever wondered why that happens? It's, it's always boggled my mind a little bit. Until a number of years ago, I spoke to another pastor friend of mine, James Jacob, when he was talking about miracles that he saw in India. He's, he's an Indian man. And when he was younger, uh, he's, he's almost died a couple of times. In fact, one time he said that he, that he did die, but he came back to life. I've seen him. I know him. He's a friend of mine. I've seen, I know of his ministry, right? And there are so many signs and wonders that have happened through him and his ministry. And he was talking one time about how he notices a difference in, in, in Australia. He's got a son that lives in Canberra. Uh, difference in Australia, parts of India. Even in India, the difference between rural areas and the town centres. And as he's talking, I said, why do you think that happens, James? Why, why do, you, do you think 
that we see more miracles in town centers than, uh, sorry, in rural centers than town centers. He says, I really don't know, but my best guess is I think it has to do with what they know. What do you mean? He says, well, when I go out to a rural area, the jungle areas, those areas, I tell them God is real, He loves them, Jesus wants to heal them. They say, okay, and they believe it and they accept it. And many things happen. He says, but when I go into the more, the urban centres, the town centres, when I tell them that, they say, does He? Okay. And, And there seems to be a little bit a little bit less faith, a little bit less belief in what has been said. I said, what do you think that is? He goes, I think, I think it has maybe to do with education. That the more the people are educated, not that it's bad, but the more that people are educated, the more they trust in their education than trusting in what God is wanting to do and say. I wonder if at times my own education gets in the way from just simply trusting God. I can tell you firsthand that as a, as a pastor, as a leader in a church, There have been times where I trust in my own understanding. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. That doesn't mean that we check our brains out at the door. Bring your brains. Bring your brains. I want your brains here. (laughs) I want your grey matter. Think critically, but spiritually. But submit that under the Lordship of Jesus and for the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what messes with my head. He led him out of the village and went, and then he spit on, on his eyes. The man's blind. He spit on his eyes and then he laid, he laid hands on him. And then he asked him, do you see anything? He spit on the blind man's eyes. John chapter 9, there's another example of Jesus spitting in the mud. Chuck it on a blind man's eyes. A little bit before... In Mark, we can see a story, Jesus does another weird thing. There's a, there's a man that can't hear, he's deaf. He puts his fingers in his ears and then he spits and then touches the man's tongue. <laughs> That's a great invitation into Christianity. Follow that guy. <laughs> he's holy. Hello? So, he spits on the man's eyes. The man's blind. Jesus has taken this man out out of the village. He's taken him out. And there's a blind man and he spits. Now, it's not like Jesus did a a polite little... The man can't see. The man would have heard what was going on. Jesus probably... (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's not stretch it too far. Jesus... Spat. Now, why did Jesus spit? Have you ever wanted to know why Jesus spat? There's so much conjecture around it. I've got to be honest with you. I don't believe that there were some sort of supernatural healing properties in the spit that healed the man's eyes. I don't believe that's the case. Because we read from the text that it wasn't the spit that healed the man. It was the touch that healed the man. It was Jesus' touch, not his spit. But he still used spit. Maybe to show that he was sovereign. Some would say that in that culture... There were, that, that it was believed that certain physicians would even use spit because it had healing properties, particularly with eye ailments. This man w- was likely not 
blind from birth because when, when he starts to see again, he says, I, I can see trees. And so he has an understanding of the difference between trees and people. So he's probably, he's probably had something wrong with his eyes that's stopping him from seeing. Now, some believe that in, in, in that culture, that's exactly what was going on. There was, it was Jesus just spitting, showing he was like a doctor to incite faith in the man. Some believe that. Some also believe, though, that spitting in that culture was, 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 was actually quite offensive. And Jesus was spitting on the blindness. That's, that was almost like a stand toward uh, illness and ailment. That's what Jesus felt. That's, how, that's God's position towards sickness. Either way, I'm not here to talk about that today. It's just good to have a bit of a think. But Jesus did something crazy, is, is what I'm taking out of that. Jesus spat on a guy's eye. <laughs> Anyone got any eye problems today? I want to try something. If you're taking notes, write this down. Let God be God. Let God be God. Furthermore, let God do God things. Let him do what he wants to do. Don't be prescriptive with him. Because a prescriptive perspective is a restrictive one. And God really doesn't like to be restricted. Like the man expecting God to save him a certain way down at Cottesloe Beach. I wonder how often we come to God expecting him to do things the way that we want him to do it because we've got a prescription for God to fulfill as though he's some sort of celestial vending machine. We put in money, we do it the right way and we, we put the order in and then oh, that we, get, we get the Sprite or we get the Samboy cheese and onion chips, whatever it is. Let him be God. We serve a God who gives us his Holy Spirit. His what spirit? Holy, hello. Holy Spirit. Not any spirit, he's a Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to say some things that are actually quite holy. I was talking to Pastor Margaret Stevenson yesterday. I love that lady. She is a woman of faith. And a number of years ago, um, she had problems with a coccyx, a tailbone. And um, she was largely immobile when she was living just in Dutch. Um, she was living with a, hub, a hubby, Bob, at the time, with Phil as well. Still lives with Bob, but down in Mandra. She was, she was with uh, Phil and the kids. They were staying with them. 255 Kingsway, Dutch. I remember that address. That's where she was living a number of years ago. And, and she had previously broken her coccyx. So on the odd occasion where a coccyx went out, like it, it really went out. And this is what she felt the Holy Spirit tell her to do. <laughs> she felt God tell her to get a lemon, cut it in half and rub it over her back three times a day for three days to receive her healing. <laughs> Have a guess what our faith-filled Margaret Stevenson did. She got herself a lemon. And she rubbed it on, on her coccyx three times a day 
for three days. And guess who got healed after three days? Does that make sense to you? It's interesting, isn't it? Have a guess who she didn't tell. Bob Stevenson and Phil Stevenson. <laughs> she told me that. She says, oh, I would never, I'd never told them because they'd just laugh at me. They would have. I would have. No, maybe I, I'm a bit holier than that. I wouldn't have laughed. I would have, I would have supported her. I would have supported her. <laughs> have, unbelief is contagious. And so is faith. She demonstrated, case in point, she kept what she felt God had told her to do and she did it to receive her miracle. Let God be God and don't have a prescriptive perspective because it's a restrictive one. What crazy thing has God said to you? Maybe he's telling you something incredibly crazy right now. Be set in him, not in your outcome. The man, the blind man is with Jesus. And I wonder what's going through his head when he hears Jesus cough up a loogie, rub it on his eyes. What is this man doing? I've heard, I've heard he's a bit of a wild man, but I hear he's a miracle man too. I'm just going to go with it. If God's doing something, as crazy as it sounds, just go with it and be set in Him, not in your expected outcome. God can't be fit into our boxes. I like to try and put Him in my box sometimes so I know Him. I've got Him worked out. I've got Him sussed out. He's too big for that. And here's a challenge for all of us that like things worked out and organized and controlled because sometimes we try and do that with God and we try and institutionalize Him. Do we want to understand Him? No, absolutely we do, but we still got to let Him do what He wants to do. Let God be God. Final point is this. Keep walking because some miracles take time. He says, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. He opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Do you see anything? What do you see? I wonder if that's a word for someone this morning. God's already begun to work this miracle out. It's not yet completed, but he's saying, what do you see now? Do you see anything now? What do you see? Do you see it in part? Some miracles do take time. I like, I like to click your fingers, Lord, and let it be so. Why? I'm a little bit impatient. But sometimes he's not going to do it that way. This is an incredibly progressive miracle. And, 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 and the Lord has included that to shape our theology intentionally. He wants to tell us that there are going to be times where faith is developed in us and He's going to continually outwork the miracle. How many times did Naaman need to go and dip 
into the Jordan. Seven times. That sounds crazy. That's a filthy, disgusting river. Oh, I'm doing this again. That was dipping in a river. On you go again. <laughs> Don't do that, Josh. What if he stopped at six? How many times did... How many times did Israel need to walk around the walls of Jericho in total? Seven. What if they just got tired at six? What if we give up just before we get over that line? Here's an encouragement to just keep walking. I don't care if Johnny Walker has that slogan. That's claimed in Jesus' name for the kingdom of God. Keep walking. Keep believing. And don't let up. Come on, we serve a good God. There are times that he's just going to show us a glimpse. And, and like Elijah, we're going uh, to say, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. The rain hasn't come in full yet, but I see it. Keep walking. Keep believing. He's more committed to you than he is the miracle, believe it or not. Think about the care and the patience he demonstrated with this blind man. He could have clicked his fingers. He could have done it there and then. But he grabbed him by the hand. He walked him out. He spent time with him. Worked with him. He does that with us. He cares more about you than your miracle. I wonder if at times he's holding off on that miracle because he loves you so much. He's trying to do a deeper work. <sighs> there are times I've been frustrated with God, believe it or not. I know you see the halo above my head right now and the wings. <laughs> there have been times I've been frustrated with God in my flesh going, God, I just want this breakthrough now. Lord, come on. Enough is enough. But in hindsight, I look back and go, I'm so glad that God didn't Give me what I wanted when I wanted it. He, at times, is going to give us what we need, not what we want, because He cares more about our development and our maturity and our Christ formation in us than turning us into brats. On Monday night at prayer, I saw a picture of a suspension bridge like this. And I shared a bit of this on Monday, and the image that I had is that many of us, can be like getting on this suspension bridge, God showing us what's on the other side. But as we're getting on this suspension bridge, it's, it's this faith bridge, this suspension bridge, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Who's been on a really rocky suspension bridge before? I have. It's fun too. <laughs> You get on there and, 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 and for those of us that are afraid of heights or, or, or afraid of uh, unstable objects, you, you get on for a little bit and you're like, oh no, I don't know if I can do that. And so the image that I saw was people walking on this suspension bridge and just getting weary and getting tired and just thinking, oh, it's just going to be easier just to not get on it at all. And the sense of... Um, and the sense of heartache was that we could see where God was going to take us, going to take us on the other side. But he wanted us to have faith 
in him for the journey to get there. And the instruction that I felt to share, and I'll share this now, is we've just got to just take it one step at a time. That's, we, we just want to be teleported over to the other side. But for God to develop us and deepen us, he's walking with us. He says, come on, just one step at a time. Just one step at a time. Just one step. Come on. It can get, it, it can get tiring sometimes. But there will come a point where you cross that bridge halfway and there's a point of no return. Like, hang on, I've, I've come too far now. I can't go back. Some of you are in this place. You've come so far. You can't go back. As tricky as it is, you've got to keep believing. You've got to keep walking. Don't give up. Keep on walking. Faith is not, I believe in God and He gives me what I want when I want it as I want it. Faith is just having trust in Him. That's faith. He is the object of our faith. It's him. It's not about the bridge. (laughs) The bridge is the means to get to the destination. We put our faith in him. We anchor our hope in him. My brother Matt and his wife Helena got some pretty tragic news about 15 years ago about Helena's father Jeff Jeff was an orderly in a hospital for some 30 years and what happened was he had a stroke um, when he was about to leave for work one day and he was found in the car park he had a stroke and what it was called I wrote it down is called a midline shift and um, he was in ICU the neurologist said eventually to Matt and Helena, he's got under 1% chance comfortably of actually waking up. There was talking about, there was talk about pulling, life, pulling him off life support because it'd be vegetable. And um, what's interesting is that Jeff being an orderly had previously told Matt and Helena if I'm ever put on life support, I want you to let me die. That's what, that's what he had said. Because he would see people on life support for months, even longer. And he says, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to turn out to be a vegetable. Let me die. That's what he told Matt and Helena. When they found him in the car park some 15 years ago, the doctors couldn't get a hold of Matt and Helena for whatever reason. And so they got hold of his brother. His brother then said, leave him on life support. Keep him alive. Matt and Helena were in a situation where his brother wanted him alive, so he was alive on life support, and then they had to make a decision, we're just going to pray. We would have, in respect of Jeff, let him die, but out of respect for the family... And in God, we're just going to pray. So do you know what Matt and Helena started doing? They started putting, they they got themselves a a pillow speaker and they put it under Jeff's pillow and just played the Bible again and again and some um, uh, Hillsong worship songs again and again. Would ask people when they came in to visit just to pray for him and they would just visit him and they'd pray and pray and pray. All this, mind you, when neurologists would say, 
actually, he told me this, um, you have a better chance of winning lotto than seeing him come out in a medical sense than coming out of this. Have a guess what after 12 months happened? Jeff got out of that hospital. He could speak. He had limited function on his left part of his body, but he could move, talk, engage. He, he actually got, he was separated from his wife, but he got remarried after that. Isn't that interesting? It took a while, but they kept walking, kept believing, kept holding on. How many people do we know that's on life support? A neighbor, a loved one. Maybe you're on life support. Just don't give up. Keep walking. Keep believing. Because some miracles take time. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.